and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How's everybody doing? I do try to keep the podcast upbeat despite the current lockdown situation, but I do have to admit that I just wasn't really feeling it yesterday. I was just thinking about the fact that our press days at Horse and Hound, which is always on a Monday, it used to be a lot more fun. We'd all be in the same office. We'd have lots of pages going to press from shows and events. And obviously at the moment, we're all at home working full time from home and there just aren't obviously so many events happening. But uh, our racing editor was off work yesterday, so I got to pretend to be racing editor, which was quite fun for a change. And uh, I was looking after the pages detailing Secret Reprieve's remarkable win in the Welsh National. The, uh, the horse's girth broke, and there are some amazing pictures of the saddle sliding backwards, held on by the overgirth. But uh, the jockey, Adam Wedge, managed to hang on in there and uh, win the race for trainer Evan Williams. So that was a great story and something I really enjoyed working on yesterday. We're kicking off the podcast today with a real treat for you. It's an interview with double Olympic champion Charlotte Dujardin, who tells us more about her new national champion, Mount St. John Freestyle. She had a lot of expectation, I think, to kind of fulfil Vallegro's shoes. And uh, I always knew she was Mrs. Vallegro. She's really stepping up and really delivering in the arena. I'll also be joined by my horse and hound colleagues to talk about Brexit, riding schools during COVID and body protectors in the show ring. Finally, Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems, talks us through how best to approach clipping horses. It's something to be really aware of. A horse's response is to freeze, build energy and explode. So do up your hat and let's get started. And welcome to this week's interview on the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Polly Bryant, dressage editor at Horse and Hound. Today's very special guest needs very little introduction. She's the reigning Olympic champion with the legendary Vallegro, current holder of every world record in dressage, and as of last month, the current British national champion. It is, of course, Charlotte Dujardin, who we're delighted to have with us today. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Hi, Polly. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. So, Charlotte, 2020 finished on a really good note for you, didn't it, when you won the National Grand Prix Championships at Hartbury on Mount St. John Freestyle. Must have been amazing to finish such a difficult year on, on a high like that. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good end of the, to the year. I think, as everyone can say, they've had not the greatest year. I think uh, it's been a tricky year. Um, and uh, actually, I think, you know, to go to the national championships I mean I was just delighted it was even being held so uh, it was nice to go to a show um, and to have Mount St John Freestyle there and uh, Geo it was a great um, test for them both to go to a show again after you know I think things have changed so much not not going to competitions as much uh, which has been a plus in some ways. Uh, we've done more training shows, but uh, to go to the nationals and then finish with two really well, I think I got, you know, obviously the highest score in the music, and mm. you know, with both horses, it was it was a really really good result. It really was, and you scored over ninety percent, didn't you, in the freestyle on freestyle, which was the first time you've broken that ninety percent barrier since uh, Rio Olympics, I believe. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's so nice to get back to the 90% uh, 
I think I was really close in uh, the beginning of that year yeah. in Amsterdam. I think I got an 89. So, you know, I've been there or thereabouts and then to finally reach it again, you know, because sometimes you think, God, am I ever going to get back up to those results? Am I ever going to hit those scores again? And, you know, like I know in my training and stuff that it's always, you know, it's possible and uh, you know freestyle's got a couple of years of the grand prix underneath her belt now she's really stepping up and you know i think she's really delivering in the arena yeah she looks absolutely incredible at heart um and i remember you saying when when we spoke um just before that that she was really starting to show you in the arena exactly what she shows you at home and that she has the confidence now to do that and that must have felt brilliant to get her out and actually show everyone else that yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, she had, at nine years old, she obviously did her first year at Grand Prix and mm. she went to the World of Christian Games and she had a lot of expectation, I think, as we both did, to kind of fulfil, you know, Vallegro's shoes and uh, I always knew she was Mrs. Vallegro and <laughs> um, I think, you know, she kind of came in at a very high end and um, for sure she had... I, you know, I put far more uh, pressure on her than I ever did with Vallegro in his first year because, you know, Vallegro's first year, neither of us really knew what we were doing. And although we got team gold in Rotterdam, you know, there, you know, I wasn't trying to ride for tens, whereas, you know, with, with freestyle, I was still going for those tens and like trying to push her. And I think, you know, in hindsight, we didn't do that much with her that year because of the fact that we didn't want to overdo it. We didn't want to, you know, put too much pressure on her too quickly. And I'm really glad we didn't, you know, and I think then the following year, I still wasn't really getting what I got at home in the arena. And, you know, and it was just a lack of, you know, I I didn't feel like I found the right pattern with her at a show. I was not really quite sure whether like, you know, to do arena walks, not to do arena walks, because it wasn't that she was spooky at all or, you know, she never showed that side, but she'd get, like, uh, a little bit anxiety, like, you know, she'd go in herself at a show. Um, and then I realised, actually, like, doing one show a month away at a big competition, you know, doing the World Cup series actually was fantastic. It kind of worked so well there, and I really got to work out what was a good plan for her, you know, her good warm-up, you know, routine for going in the arena. And that really, really has helped me. And this last year, I think, you know, just having small shows to go to where she had no pressure and I could just train around the tests. It was fantastic. It was it was probably, the you know, for her ideal that I could just train her in the tests rather than have to have the pe- pressure to win a medal. Um, I could just get her confident again in the arena and try try new things and it really seemed to work yeah I can imagine that was so incredibly helpful you are the subject of our horse and hound interview in this week's issue of the magazine and when we chatted for that you told me a lot about how this extra year of training has been incredibly beneficial for for all of your horses and that you've really sort of found some new um some new angles in your training and and sort of new ways of doing things um you talked a lot in that in that interview about Florentina who I'm sure a lot of our readers and listeners will know your lovely lovely grey mare how's her how's her training coming along she's sort of coming up towards Grand Prix now isn't she yeah no I mean I hope when there is any shows to have her now for Grand Prix um again yeah I've learned so much from Florentina you know she was always 
really incredibly easy in the sense of like she, again super trainability uh not ever phased by anything she wasn't phased by crowds or arenas you know she she was really really good in that sense it kind of got to the grand prix work with the piaf passage and um she had the talent for both the piaf and the passage but it was then just realizing that i had to give her the time to put the two together you know if you looked at her physically and her confirmation she would be a little bit difficult in the sense that she has that like very she's very uphill yeah uh and you know it just it just needed that she needed to get stronger through her body and then through her back and uh you know to put the two combinations together um which i've 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 learned so much from her by from from because you know I knew she had the talent and I'd be like well why can't she do it yeah, you know she showed yeah. both of them and I was like I know she can do it and she could <laughs> do it um and you know it's really helped again having another year of just training at home and it's been brilliant in the sense that it's given her another year to strengthen up and um you know, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because people don't see horses. People think they're off or they're injured. And, you mm. know, an actual fact, it was the the more reason that I, you know, I, I did took her to demonstrations, um, you know, get her out like that rather than actually putting her in a test environment because I knew she just wasn't ready to do it. But this year I feel she's ready to go do Grand Prix. And, you know, I knew she was worth waiting for not to rush her because I knew if I was to rush her and push her, I probably, you know, would have, wouldn't have a horse. So, um, I've now, I've got the combinations together. She's really confident and she feels really good, really strong. Um, so, you know, again, a lovely, really new, exciting year to have her out at Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, how amazing to have to have three horses of that caliber at Grand Prix. Obviously, you've got lovely Pumpkin, whose show name, of course, is Geo, um, who we all saw at Hartbury. He's he's looking incredible. He he must be just so much fun to ride. Yeah, I mean, little Pumpkin is again <laughs> nine. He was nine years old last year during his first year. I always knew he. I did again. I didn't want to push him too much last year, being that he was only nine years old. Um, but he honestly has a heart of gold. Like, I mean, again, he tries so hard. Uh, it was quite interesting actually, cause I, you know, I forget how little he's done and yeah. that the, uh, winter championships in the Grand Prix, he, I took him in, I did the arena walk in the morning, uh, with both horses and, uh, he, I, I guess with other horses, he walked around there, didn't bat an eyelid and, uh, you know, there was a massive Christmas tree in the corner yeah. and it was all very, very Christmassy in there. Um, and when I went in to do the test, he was a little bit like a deer in headlights. He kind of literally just, he he just felt like he held himself. He was like quite tight in the actual test. And, uh, you know, I think, God, he was, that was his fifth Grand Prix. He's done, that's his second indoor show. So he never did small tour. He went from advanced medium to inter two. He did two inter twos to then Grand Prix. And, you know, because I came out and I felt a little bit like, oh, you know, because I knew we'd improved so much at home. And yeah. then I went into the test and, okay, you know, I probably made 
more mistakes than uh, I have done through any test on him actually in the Grand Prix. But then I have to realise, like, he is nine. He has done yeah. five Grand Prix. You know, he <laughs> hasn't done much in that environment. And then, bless him, he went into the freestyle and he was like a different horse. He he just delivered. Like, he went in there. He was completely confident. He'd learnt so much from the day before. Uh, that's his second ever music. He'd never even done music at Small Tour. So, again, very inexperienced at that. Um, but, again, that's the sort of horse he is. You know, he never... Even when he's a bit afraid, he never says no. He keeps trying, you know, and you can feel that he's trying. Um, and it's the most incredible feeling when you have that from a horse, that you know they're a little bit unsure. They're kind of looking at you for confidence. I could give him the confidence. And then he and then he goes, like, oh, all right, okay, yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, and, and that was great. You know, I think it was a really special feeling in the music that I got from him. And I, I was so, so proud of him because it, I really felt like from the day before to that day, he was like two different horses. And Aww. then when you have a horse like that, you know you're on for a winner because, you know, it's those horses that go in there the second day that either get worse or, you know, don't improve. That's then when it becomes difficult. Yeah. And and actually that improvement throughout the show is going to be even more important than ever um, in Tokyo, it. isn't it? Because it's the Grand Prix special, which will be the second test yep. you ride that actually counts towards the team medals. Yeah. I mean, those sort of shows, I think it's always great because you're there... I don't know, like three or four days, five days before. So they do get to kind of settle in a bit more. Mm. Um, so, but it's it's great, you know, like, I mean, I'm so excited about him. Um, and well, them all really, I think I'm, <laughs> I feel very lucky and blessed that I have such fantastic courses uh, to look forward to. Yeah, you really do. Um, just tell us a little bit about some of the horses you've got um, at the lower levels at the moment, some of your younger ones that you're really excited about. Is there any one in particular that everyone should be looking out for in 2021 once we're competing again? Well, I have quite, I have quite a few, to be <laughs> you've honest. You've got too many to choose I've from. Got, yeah, <laughs> I've got three really super four-year-olds uh, that have just turned four now, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, I co-own those with uh, Peter Belshaw. Really, really exciting. Um, I have a really lovely um, six-year-old that I uh, I ride for Peter Belshaw uh, called Kismet. And uh, I competed her a little bit last year, but she's super, super talented. Really, really. I'm really excited about her. Uh, she's... Um, yeah, she's called Times Kismet. She's okay. she's just super talented, like very elastic, very, you know, I think laterally she finds work really, really easy. Again, super brain. So really, really excited for her coming through. Um, and then I have, you know, a super horse that I co-own myself with uh, Verity Jenner. And uh, he's a horse I actually bought as a foal uh, from Mount St. John. And uh, I rode him um, a, a little bit as a five-year-old. I competed him. I won the novice championships. He's called yeah. MSJ Shummer. Okay. Who, again, hasn't been out for a, couple, for a year because, again, just had him at home training. But I actually, it was quite an interesting story. I had him and I rode him as a five-year-old. And I was a bit like, I just found him very, he has the most amazing canter. Um, 
and I but I just found him quite big and slow uh, and mm. I said to Carl about it and I just said you know I like really hot energetic horses and I was mm. like, I'm just not sure he's the sort of horse for me although I watch him and I absolutely love him but he just found him really slow so I actually said to Carl you know what I like should I sell him you know I'm not sure if I should sell him or you know he's like just give him more time just give him more time so I said why don't you ever go so he gone and of course he loved him <laughs> and actually he spent all last year riding him uh oh, to the point where at six years old you know he ended up doing four threes twos ones like you were like oh my, oh my gosh, god all he, the changes just super talented very very talented just canter work he found super easy so he, I, I think for him, for a Grand Prix horse, he's really super exciting. Okay. And he's obviously just turned seven now. It'll be a fight between me and Carlos to be rides him. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, I love a, a lovely horse. But, you know, I, I have to say, uh, you know, I gave Carl the ride last year on, on Vogue. Yeah. And he was a horse I bought as a three-year-old and trained up to Grand Prix. I did a couple of Grand Prix on it myself. And then I, um, I, you know, obviously having two other Grand Prix horses, I thought it'd be a nice horse for Carl to have as a horse because I just, you know, he is the most amazing horse to ride. But I'm actually enjoying now. I never thought, I never thought I could say it, but um, enjoying watching someone ride my horses because obviously I've always wanted to ride them. Yeah, yeah, and, you've always been the rider. Yeah, and it's really, uh, I, I like watching Carl. At, uh, the national championships on Vogue. It was re- I got really emotional watching him do the freestyle on him, and it it was just like oh my god! Like it, I do. It was just so special to be able to stand and watch Carl ride my horse, and you know a horse that means so much to me because he was a very difficult young horse, not as yeah. in naughty, but just very hot, very very hot to train. Um, and then to have that, I you know I was really like. It was very emotional to see, and I was. It was a very proud moment. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, that must have been really, really lovely. It was really good. And then I have a, a really good seven-year-old uh, with Katie Bailey, uh, who's called River Rise Isabella. Mm. Again, I thought she's a huge horse. She's probably about seventeen two. Uh, she was. She was, I uh, had her with uh, Rob Barker originally as a young horse. He won quite a lot on her. And now I've passed the ride to Katie Bailey and um, she's got her. And again, it's, you know, it's just really, I think it's great that I can now give these younger generation, you know, Katie is a really good up and coming rider, some opportunities to have some fantastic horses. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's kind of, great for me that I can kind of give back to the sport a bit and encourage you know and help these younger riders to come through because of course you were given the ride on Vallegro by Carl and that was what really kick-started your career so it's lovely that you can give that back to, to other upcoming riders now and I know I know as a rider like you know we all work hard and we all want it and I think, you know, it's so hard to get that lucky strike. And I was so mm. lucky that Carl was so generous to me and gave me that chance to fulfill my dreams. And if I can do that to somebody else and help somebody else, then, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. And like I say, it's I'm really enjoying watching people, you know, riders develop um, and 
you know like carl and katie riding my horses it, it's it's great you know i love yeah. i love helping i can imagine i can definitely imagine so we're into january obviously not quite the january i think a lot of us hoped for or expected did your horses have a bit of a break over christmas how have you gone about sort of bringing back into training um in the new year yeah so um they all had a holiday over christmas they just had uh, a week couple of weeks well week off um and freestyle and uh pumpkin are still just hacking yeah they're gonna have probably four weeks of just hacking and stretching and you know not doing all the grand prix or any grand prix stuff so they will then pick up i'll pick them back up the end of this month and you know i think it's important that we give them a bit of downtime because you know i think that kind of work it's really demanding physically uh, and mentally and i think also you know if if tokyo happens it's gonna be um a long year and i've got to make plans and plan it right yeah i mean it's such a difficult it's difficult planning out a year an olympic year especially in the in the best of times isn't it let alone let alone at the moment (laughs) absolutely absolutely i mean you just don't you don't know what's going to happen and and you know what you can't really make show plans because nobody really knows what's going to happen so it's it's an interesting one that for sure yeah absolutely and obviously in a new lockdown um but you you told me when we when we spoke for the the magazine interview that actually lockdown last year um did have some benefits for you personally and it it taught you to sort of slow down and and take a take more of a of a back seat instead of going full throttle 100 percent of the time um so i guess you must feel as though you're you know slightly better able to cope that this year now you've you've been through what we went through in 2020 yeah absolutely i think you know it i mean you just you're on the go all the time um you know you're competing you're teaching you're training you're uh off traveling around the world doing demonstrations it it, it's it's just a go 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 situation and Mm. last year was like when we had to go into a lockdown i was a bit like oh my god like what am i going to do for myself like you know (laughs) i'm just not a person for sitting around it was very very strange to be at home thinking or you know all the plans that we had planned to go to every show Mm. you know every month it was like oh that one's cancelled oh that one's just cancelled and you're like, oh my God, like, so what am I going to do? Like, there's no shows to focus to. There's no, you know, there was nothing really other than to just keep horses fit and for us to stay healthy. And um, it was just very strange and yeah. very different, something that we're not used to. Uh, but it was good, you know, it kind of learned, taught me how to have that switch off. And actually, it really did help me mentally and physically I think you do again you don't you don't really probably take enough time out to have a chill out really yeah because you're always going and you're riding how many horses a day normally (laughs) well like 10 or 11 I can ride up to so yeah I mean it it's still busy riding but um because obviously you've got all the young ones coming yeah. through which is so exciting and uh, riding the three-year-olds <laughs> last year the end of last year coming to this year I mean I was like hoping that nothing happened so I didn't have to go you know fall off and then oh, go to hospital because you're thinking, yeah you don't it's it's such a risky game isn't it you know so just trying to be as careful as possible and not put myself at 
any risk that I thought that you know could be dangerous so uh, now I have three four-year-olds and still trying to you know survive the cold <laughs> and <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I know so everyone who thinks that I just get on all the trained horses you know I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm still getting on those young ones oh yeah. my gosh yeah absolutely well there's so much work behind the scenes um and we we just get to enjoy the end product when it was certainly very lovely to be able to enjoy a bit of that before christmas um at the championship so that was wonderful thank you very much for lifting everyone's spirits before christmas oh no it's a pleasure so charlotte dujardin thank you so much for coming on the horse and hound podcast it's been a real pleasure to have you on and best of luck with all your fabulous horses for 2021 hopefully fingers crossed we'll be able to see you out competing again very soon thank you very much So I'm joined today by three of our news team to round up the latest stories. First of all, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Eleanor, what's going on with you? Um, well, essentially mud, rain, frozen ground and January. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds lovely. Have you been riding at all? Yeah, one of them. I've got one horse has been lame, which turned out to be an abscess, which is always a, a bonus when you think what it could have been. But yeah, have managed to fit some riding in when the school's not been frozen. Uh, okay. And we also have on the line Lucy Elder, our senior news writer. What about you, Lucy? What's going on? I Yes, likewise, I've been fitting in a bit of riding where I can um, when the roads aren't too icy around here. But it's a it's beautiful sunny day actually today. So I did have a nice ride this morning. Oh, lovely. Good to take the small bonuses at the moment. And finally, we also have our news writer, Becky Murray, with us. And Becky is in Scotland. I think it's probably even more cold, wet and muddy up there than it is uh, for those of us who are a bit further south. How's it going, Becky? I think I'm just in going into winter survival mode now. Um, I bought a new lovely bridle online uh, around Christmas and I'm just now sat waiting to use it and wishing my school would unfreeze for more than a day. But um, my Shetland ponies did have lots of fun last week playing in the snow, so that was nice to see at least. Oh, that's cute. Well, I'm not riding at the moment because of uh, the lockdown situation. I don't live that near my horse, so can't quite justify it at the moment. But um, I do have a jigsaw that my parents got me for Christmas, which has a picture of uh, me and Alfie at the only uh, only event we made it to last season, jumping a fence. And it's a thousand piece jigsaw. And um, so there's a lot of conversation in the evenings in my house at the moment that goes, oh, I've got a bit of the pony bottom. Oh, I've got a bit of your bottom here. Um, as we try to piece it all together. So, but I think we've nearly done the horse and rider and now we've just got to tackle the sky and the vast expanse of trees around the edge of us. So I'll give you a jigsaw update next week, podcast listeners. I'm sure that'll be fascinating for you. But on to the serious news. Lucy, we're going to come to you first. You've been untangling all the rumours and things that are flying around on travelling horses to the EU now that the Brexit transition period is at an end and I was reading in your story that there are a lot of empty horse boxes being sent to the EU at the moment it sounds crazy what is going on can you help us interpret <laughs> I'll try um so essentially I spent the last week trying to unpick the situation 
And as I've been doing that, it has been constantly changing, which I hope is a good thing, as that means that matters matters that were outstanding were being resolved as I was researching and as I was looking into it and speaking to people all the time. But, and I mean, there's always a but, uh, there's a few big sticking points at the moment and more clarity is definitely needed on several fronts. Um, so those issues that I've gone into this week sort of centre around a few crucial bits of paperwork that UK uh, operators that are transporting horses for business in EU member states must have. And this all sounds very quite dry and not that exciting until you start to realise the realities of it. Um, and so to name them, these include the sort of vehicle approval certificate and the transporter authorisation. Um, in order for transporters to legally operate in the EU, those things need to be obtained in an EU member state. I'm going to put that into English. So these are documents that couldn't be done and they couldn't be obtained before the end of the transition period on the 31st of December. But then as soon as the clock hit midnight on the 1st of January, the UK versions of those documents were no longer valid. And so that is why on the transport companies I was speaking to, when I was speaking to them on Monday morning, they were preparing six empty horse boxes to travel out to Belgium to get that done, to get those vehicle approvals done in an EU member state so that they can then legally operate those vehicles through the EU. Um, as far as I can see, it's still a bit of a grey area as to exactly all the people that will need to get that done. But for those that are clearly operating as transporting horses for business, so, you know, your transport companies, that's not a grey area. That's something they need. They know right now they need to have done. Right now, there's not a way of getting that done in the UK. So they are taking empty boxes out to an EU member state to get those bits of paperwork done, the checks done so that they can carry on operating. So it is, there's a few things that haven't quite been resolved just yet. And that that seems to be one of them interesting and there's also been some chat i've seen on social media about price increases on the euro tunnel were you able to get to the bottom of that situation yes so these the news of euro tunnel price hikes have been circulating on social media and so i put the claims um of this increase in fares to them it's been cited at around 325 pound a horse so not just a box a horse surcharge and a spokesman said that they confirmed that prices for horse transport have had to be increased in the Folkestone to Calais direction as a result of the post-transition agreement between the UK, the UK and the EU. Uh, this involves new veterinary controls that are now required. Um, so again, I think this is possibly going to be something that we wait to see how it how it impacts if it really is going to be £325 a horse. That seems to be what the latest information I have at the moment. Again, just on the Eurotunnel, no sign of that for ferry crossings, but it is. it does sound quite a lot of money. Okay. And finally, what else do people need to think about if they are considering taking horses abroad? Obviously, there are a lot of uh, a lot of things and moving parts here, but but what other considerations do people need to have on their mind? I mean, obviously, we're not just dealing with Brexit here. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. And those things are very much at the forefront of, I'm sure, anyone's mind um, if they are having to travel to EU nations with horses at the moment or without horses. Um, so, I mean, we're strongly advising that you check with your insurers uh, in well in advance uh, your pre as part of your pre-departure checks. Uh, this has to be done anyway for drivers in order to get a green card, which is proof you have the minimum insurance required by your country you're driving in. And of course, we'd say, you know, follow foreign office advice as well. But it is it's very important, not just in terms of driving, but in terms of 
of whether your travel insurance is covering you as well at the moment. And I think those are definitely checks that anyone should be making and not underestimating the situation if you are planning on essential travel uh, away from the UK right now. Thank you, Lucy. This is such a complicated situation and I'm glad that we have you to help us get to the bottom of it all and understand what's going on. Eleanor, I'm coming to you next for our weekly dose of COVID, so to speak. Um, what's in the headlines this week at, at the interface where horses meet coronavirus, which is something we're, we're always talking about, but uh, what, what, what's been your focus this week on that story? Uh, it, it's all about riding schools um, this week. Uh, obviously, the, the sports have said how they're working hard with the government on, on plans for resumption again after this lockdown. But what is a massive thing is the campaigners are, are really lobbying the government hard to allow riding schools to be able to not to do everything and not beginners and or you know anything that has can't be socially distant, but to be allowed to give one to one lessons. Okay, and what are the arguments that people are sort of putting forward about why those one-to-one lessons should still be allowed during lockdown? Well, obviously, as everyone who has got horses knows that last lockdown was spring and a lot of horses could be turned out. Obviously, now in January, that isn't the case uh, for a lot of places. And obviously, everyone was struggling anyway. And now, you know, as we've been told, there are places where there are yards full of horses, not enough people to exercise them and not enough money to feed them. So it's a real horse welfare concerns here. Mm. And what's the government response on this? Is there any sign of movement? Uh, it, it didn't look like it. They they say they understand the challenges facing riding schools, but they say we're at a critical point and we have to work together to get the rate of infection down. And that means staying at home. Mm, okay. Well, thank you for updating us there on that. Becky, I'm coming over to you finally to talk about a rule in showing which is going to be relevant once events start up again. What's this all about? Well, the British Show Pony Society has introduced a rule requiring riders to wear body protectors when jumping and working hunter classes, and this applies to both children and adults. Okay, and what is the background to this rule being brought in? Well, body protectors were always strongly recommended by the BSPS, but they were made mandatory following the first lockdown in March last year, and this requirement has now been put in the 2021 rulebook. I spoke to the BSPS about this and it's very much based on the organisation trying to protect the NHS and reduce the risk of people getting an injury that could mean they have to go to hospital, um, especially during the pandemic. But they have said this rule will be reviewed in 12 months. Okay, that seems pretty sensible to me. What is the response from members on this? It's quite a mixed response and there has been a lot of discussion about it on social media. Some people feel it's the right thing to do. Um, I spoke to a parent and she was very much in favour of it. But on the other hand, some adults are quite against the rule and they feel they should really have the choice whether they wear a body protector or not. But the BSPS said as a membership organisation, they have to protect all members, not just those under 18 Okay, so it's sort of an across-the-board rule, and uh, and uh, but they'll be seeing how it goes and reviewing in a year's time. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Great. Thank you, Becky, and thank you to Eleanor and Lucy for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in southern England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. 
In this episode, we're going to talk about clipping. It's that time of year as I'm recording these, these podcasts, um, so we thought it would be quite a, a good one to cover. So clipping is, again, particularly if you have a problem or if you're introducing a horse to clippers, it's about starting small and building up. So before you introduce any sort of clipper type devices, it's really important that you understand the process of desensitizing. And in my program, Your Horsemanship, I, I have a very um, methodical process that I follow to, to introduce objects to horses. This process starts by simply holding whatever it may be. So as we're talking about clipping, I would start with something like a toothbrush. So an electric toothbrush is, I've got one on the yard. As a matter of fact, I can see it right in front of me here. Um, electric toothbrushes are great. They make that noise and they also have a vib vibration. But what I'll do as an as initial process is I will carry that toothbrush while it's going and I'll be moving away from my horse. So I might just lead my horse around. Now my horse is not allowed to run past me. So your basic groundwork has to be in place because if your horse is anxious about something, the potential is for them to pull back away from you or try to run past you. So these things have to be in place first, being able to control your horse forwards, backwards, left and right. But generally speaking, just walking around with this, exposing your horse to this noise and you'll tell when your horse is, is okay to move on to the next stage because they won't feel like they're hanging back and they won't feel like they're going to run past you. They'll just feel like they're leading normally. Now, once you can, and just to understand why you started this process, predators will move aggressively. They'll move towards a prey animal. So therefore, if you introduce an object by bringing it towards them, it's a sort of predatory type action, particularly for a, with something that a horse doesn't know what it is. So by moving away from, from your horse with an object, you're moving more like another prey animal and, and they start to become more investigative rather than flighty and this gives them confidence. So that's why I start with this initial process. Every time I increase the exposure, so I might start with a toothbrush, move on to a small set of clippers or dog clippers, then move on to, you know, your main clippers that we use to clip our horses. So the next stage would be to move around your horse and make contact with your horse. You do this firstly just with your hand. You don't need to introduce the object yet. You just need to get them used to the sound. So we're desensitizing to noise first and being able to make contact uh, with your horse just by stroking them around um, and getting them used to that idea. If they move away from you, but it's, it's a, a reasonable sort of anxiety, i.e. they haven't gone to the point where they're completely flighting away, then just follow them until they relax and stop and realize that it's just your contact. What you're trying to develop at this stage is the association between the sound of the clippers 
and the feeling of you rubbing them and making that good association. You always start with the, with the top line or the neck, so less sensitive areas, and then start to work your, work your way from those areas, paying particular attention to how your horse is behaving at all times. In particular, the ear on the side you're working. If that ear is really locked onto you, while you're touching your horse or at any stage when you're moving your horse and they're slightly bent towards you, they are very alert and, and ready to react. So when you see this, be really careful about a horse kicking out because it would take a fly to land on them when they're that focused on, on an issue for them to tip them over the edge and you know, lash out or, or overreact. If your horse's ears are soft at this stage and the association is starting to come, then I would switch contact um, from a hand with nothing in it to, to a hand with the toothbrush in it. So I wouldn't even put the toothbrush on the horse at this stage. I would start to just um, use the back of my hand with the toothbrush in it and steadily build up that tolerance to the noise and there'll be a slight vibration in your hand and then as you go along you can assess whether your horse is ready to move into other areas of the body what you do to one side you must always do to the other and be aware that you, sometimes when you go to the opposite side of your horse it can be like they've never seen it before so you need to start always back at the beginning and then work your way through. Now, one of the things that is, is tricky with horses is, uh, is the last two places I visit when clipping, which is the legs and also the, the head. So with the legs, it's slightly different when you're desensitizing down a horse's legs, because I've told you as you're going along, to stay with your horse when introducing an object that they're worried about until they stop moving their feet and then come away and go back a stage. Now, that's because when you introduce something to, to a horse's body, their reaction is to move away from it. If you introduce something, if you're close enough to your horse's legs and you introduce something that they're not sure about, the reaction, their instinctive reaction can be very different either striking or kicking. So that's why we have to start with moving down the horse's body onto the leg. And as soon as we feel our horse starting to become anxious or want to lift the leg, um, the skin twitch, anything like that, we instantly come off and then we cycle back round to where our horse is confident on the body and go back down. Now, if you repeat this process, what you'll start to find happen, happening is you're able to go further down the leg and off as you go. And over the course of days and weeks, you'll be able to go all the way down your horse's legs and you'll be able to do it slower. So in the first instance, it's fairly quick. It doesn't want, when I say quick, I don't want you to rush. It's got to be a smooth movement but I don't want it to be too slow either because things that um, move slowly or are stopped inside a horse's 
sort of comfort zone or inside their personal space. Uh, a horse can perceive those things as something that's going to pounce and therefore a horse's response is to freeze, build energy and explode. So it's, it's, it's something to be really aware of that if you just leave something still by a horse um, and their ear locks onto it, then they're looking at it thinking this object could pounce and therefore um, you can get an explosive response. They, horses don't tend to do this once you've got through the contact and they've felt the contact and are comfortable with it. But going down the legs, it's something to be aware of. How you move is important. But following these processes is the safest, uh, safest and most reliable way to build your horse up to being ready to be clipped. Before I clip a horse, having built up from a toothbrush to dog clippers to our main set of clippers, I always clip a horse backwards with the clippers that I want to use. And I would recommend using cordless clippers because you can move with your horse and your horse is not going to stand on, on, a, on a line full of electricity. I, I would start to clip my horse backwards. So I start with the blades facing forwards and move back. So I'm not actually clipping my horse, but I'm tracing my horse and just checking all the areas that I'm going to clip um, before I actually start my clipping for real. So that's how I educate my horse to be clipped and the processes I follow. I hope that's been helpful. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back talking about managing anxiety in horses. On the riding side, if you're looking for motivation in your training over these dark, cold January weeks, do take a look at Horse and Hound's new eight-week training plan, which includes prelim-level training videos with top judge Isabel Bessels, 20-minute exercises to inspire each schooling session, and a planner to track your progress and motivate you to keep progressing, whatever the weather. Search Horse and Hound e-training to find out more. Meanwhile, on the podcast, we'll be back next week with an interview with London 2012 Olympic gold medalist Laura Tomlinson. And of course, we'll have all the week's news. Look after yourselves, keep doing those jigsaws, and I look forward to talking to you then. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.